And how many of y'all love y'all's pastors, uh, Justin and Emily? Can we give it up for them? Julie and I, we love getting to uh, live life with them, serve with them. We're in a life group with them. Let me just tell you, they're extremely competitive. Uh, Justin and I, we, uh, we had a game night with our wives the other night and some other pastors' wives, and we definitely won. Uh, didn't we, Justin? It was, we always win. But um, I, I just want to say I'm excited to be here. My name is Richard. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, just real quick, I want to introduce you to my family because I'm very proud of my family. I love my family. This is a picture of my beautiful wife, Dr. Julie Eberly. Some of y'all might have her if you take chemistry at UC. She is way smarter than I'll ever be. Um, and then that is my beautiful little girl, Finley. She is 18, 17 months old. She is a ham, y'all. It is the best being a dad. And also, uh, we announced it in December, but we also have another one coming soon. Y'all, I'm, hey, look, I'm telling you, I'm a family man now. I'm living the good life. Like, y'all don't even know. You're like, man, I'm living the good life. I'm single. I can do what I want. No, y'all have no idea. Like, this is the good life. A husband, a dad, a baby on the way. I'm one step away from, like, really entering into the good life, and that's getting and owning a minivan. But my wife... <laughs> I'm in my 30s. She's still in her 20s, and she's too cool for a minivan, and she's holding out. But we'll get there. I'm going to win um, eventually, and then I will be there. I mean, already, like, this was like the only pair of non-dad jeans that I had to wear tonight. Uh, and so I was excited. I was meeting with somebody the other day, and I was excited about my flannel-lined blue jeans. Like, that's no, you can't get any more dad than that. But but I'm telling you, I, I love it. And I'm, I, I'm so happy to see so many people in this room. Not because of a crowd, but let me just tell you, my life changed when I was an 18-year-old freshman in 2006 because I was walking away from Jesus, completely far from God, and it was because of a college ministry that was connected to a local church and people that were in that ministry that helped me bring me back to Jesus and point me on a path that I, I am thankful uh, to be on even to this day. I don't know where I would be if it wouldn't have been for a local church and I had a college ministry connected to it that plugged me in. So let me just tell y'all, y'all need to be thankful for what you have. It is a huge, huge blessing. And, and y'all been in a series called Groundwork. I've been talking to Justin a little bit about it. I love the idea about going back to the foundations and that building it on Christ. And I know y'all have talked a little bit about like what time of the Lord, community, and then serving. And tonight, here's what I want you to know. What I'm gonna talk to you about, I, I'm just gonna be very bold to say it's very, very important. I think it is so essential that you and I constantly go back and revisit the foundations because here's what I know. A lot of us have a lot of information about God, but a lot of, very few of us really walk in obedience to what he has to say. And we're constantly looking for like, oh, I want more knowledge, more info. I want to go this. When we won't even step into and obey the very things of the foundational things of the faith that God has for us. And you're never going to be able to walk further into what God has for you until you grab the foundations. And I think that's really important tonight. C.S. Lewis is like a spiritual mentor of mine. And he, he, he not recently, he's dead. Uh, I recently read this from him, but listen to what it says. He said this, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. The real job of every moral teacher is to keep on bringing us back time after time to the old simple principles which we are all so anxious 
not to see. And tonight, I'm going to talk about something that a lot of us are really anxious not to see. Like, oh, why does he got to talk about this? Yeah, can we talk about deeper things or broader things? No, 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 no. We're going to talk about the foundational things because if you don't get this, you're not going to be able to move forward. If you don't get this, it's going to really affect your future walk with Christ. But I'm going to tell you, if you grab a hold of this, if you let this settle into your heart and let God start working this in you, it's going to affect how you walk out your 20s. It's going to affect how you walk out your 30s. And it's going to affect you going into your marriages, your jobs, and everything else as a follower of Christ. So I'm going to pray. Um, are y'all ready to get in the Word tonight? Good. That's what I'm talking about. God, we love you. And... Uh, Man, it's an honor to be here. God, uh, speak to me tonight. This isn't about me. This is about you. But God, I pray that you would use my words and, and your word would come alive and show us where we don't line up with you and how we can change and how you want to bring us in line with who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and just start off with a confession, something you need to know. Like I, I'm standing up here, but you need to know this. I don't have it all together. Like, I, I, I am not some guy that understands everything and going to tell you, hey, listen to me, because, man, I'm, I'm still a broken man. And I, I'll just be really honest, too. If, if you knew everything about me, and even, even to, at this point in my life, you wouldn't let me stand up here. You wouldn't want to listen to me. But there's also something I know about you. If I knew everything about you, we wouldn't let you in here either. So here's what I know. We all have room to grow. We all have room to say, God, hey, there's things off of me and I need you to continue to point me in the right direction because this, this thing of following Jesus is not a destination. Like, it's a journey. It's not like I accepted Christ. Okay, I'm here. I'm fine. I'm good. No, no, no. Like, when you accepted Christ, you started the first step of this long journey in following him. And as I've been praying back in 2019, I started praying a verse over my life. And I just want to share that verse with you. It's in Psalm 139. Here's what it says. It says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Like going back to that, like, like that main, the end of this verse, I, I really want us to focus, see if there's any, and I even like did a big study on this really long drawn out in the Hebrew and the word any in that context means any, it means anything in my life. God, is there anything in me right now that doesn't line up with you? Is there any part of my life that I'm living that, that is offensive to you? God, he is praying and begging God, show it to me, show it to me. And here's what's good. The good news though, He's not a God that's going to show it to us and point us out and say, fix it yourself. Figure it out. God, look how bad you are. Do you know what he's going to do? We serve an incredible God, and you've got to have an understanding of who he is. He's going to point it out to us, and here's what it says. And then lead me in the way of everlasting. We have a God who wants to hold out his hand and says, I'm going to show you this because it's going to destroy you, but I want to make you more like me. So will you please take my hand and I want to lead you to the better way, to the better life. And that was my prayer. And can I tell you something? That's really cute to get up here and stand up here and say to you. It's a cute prayer to pray until God points something pretty broken in you out. Until he's willing to say, all right, do you want that? All right, I'm going to show you. Because when you pray that prayer, he will show you something. And here's what I've learned. People who do not want to grow will not pray that prayer. 
Insecure people will not pray that prayer. People who have a messed up identity will not pray that prayer because they have this wrong view that they have to have it all together when God's saying, no, I'm going to point it out and then I'm going to take you to the better way. And so I prayed that prayer. I thought I was doing good, but, but I want to tell you a point where as I was praying it, God said, all right, I got to show you some stuff. And it was probably back in October when this journey started that I started praying that prayer. And we were at our Engage retreat. That's a retreat we do with our middle schoolers. There's over 300 middle schoolers there, y'all. It's crazy. It smells really bad. A lot of drama, but it's a lot of fun. And we were there, and it was freezing. If you've ever been to the, it's the same place y'all go to y'all's retreat. Well, we had dropped the ball on the parking. And so we needed to throw a parking team together really quick. And so being the pastor, I was like, hey, all right, here's what I'll do. I'll volunteer for it. Say, I'll do parking, expecting everybody around to say, no, 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 you're the pastor. You stay here in the warm, hang out and greet people. We'll go park. And guess what? As I volunteered, very few volunteered. I was like, well, crap. So, so what did I do? I went out there and, you know, I was excited about it. Or at least it looked like I was excited about it on my face. I was doing the job. I was smiling, waving, high-fiving. But on the appearance, I was doing it right. But inwardly, let me just tell you, what I was thinking, I'm not really proud of. Because in that moment, I was pretty bitter at some people. Like, why in the world did they not volunteer? They didn't know who I am. I was entitled. I was pouting. I was full of self-pity. And in that moment, as I'm sitting there smiling, but internally, all that's going on, God was like, there it is. (laughs) That's it. That's the very thing that's offensive to me that's in you right now. And in that moment, I said, golly, you're right. And I had the choice to either reject what God said, like, no, it's not, and justify it, or I could say, all right, God, you're exposing it. Can I have your hand? Because I don't know how to get out of this. And he began to take me on this journey of saying, okay, look, you might have had the actions of serving in the moment, but I'm not looking for the actions. I'm actually looking for the attitude to which you carry your life. And let me just tell you, you can go on in your Christian faith all you want and have all the actions right, but your attitude be extremely poor and extremely selfish and extremely all about you and entitled. And let me just tell you, that attitude is having wreaking havoc on this generation. And I don't want that for you. God has so much more for you. And you know what? He has so much more for me. And and so in this moment, I want to take you to a passage of scripture that he took me to, to say, okay, God, this is it. This is really broken in me and I get it. But will you show me? And so let's pick up the word. And I want to take you to a passage of scripture that he took me to. And look, in those moments when God points something out to you, man, pick up the word. In his word, he's going to show you. I don't know if you have read Psalm 119 recently, but it is absolutely incredible. It's how does a young person keep their way pure? How does someone live the blessed life? How does someone not walk in sin? It's by according to your word. If you're not picking up this book, you're not going to know the way out. But he's always going to take you to his word. And he took me to a passage, and it's in the book of John. We're going to be in John 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can pick that up. Go to John 13, because that's where we're going to sit for a while. This is a foundational attitude to which you have got to carry and live your life by. So as you're getting there, I'm going to set you up. What this is is the passage of the Lord's Supper. 
the Last Supper. You've probably heard about it. If you've been around church for any of that, you've seen that like painting. I don't know who did it. It's like with the Da Vinci Code, like that whole painting, like the Last Supper moment. And it's recorded in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But John's got a very unique take on it that I want us to look at this. And what's going on is this is the last meal that Jesus is going to have before he goes to the cross. This is the last meal that he is doing with his disciples before he steps into the thing that God has for him and taking away the sins of the world. And this has been a tradition that they have been doing for thousands of years leading up to Jesus. And it's all been about him. And so that's where we are. That is the setting. And so now that you know that, let's start reading. It says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon the Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So what do we observe right here in this first passage? Leave it up on the screen. We observe a few things. One, we, we know that it was just hours before his arrest, before he was going to get arrested and go through trial. What else do we know? He knew what was awaiting him. In this moment, Jesus knew that he was getting ready to absorb the full wrath of God for my sins and your sins and the entire world's sins. What else did he know? He knew that this was going to be the last time that he was with his guys. The last time that he was going to be with his disciples. This was a special moment. What else did he know? He knew that the Father had placed all authority in his hands at that moment. I mean, can you imagine like all authority is in your hands and he knew it. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. Those were things we know. And do you know what else he knew? He knew this, that the hearts of his disciples were full of pride in this very moment. And we don't see this in this passage, but I want us to jump over to Luke 22. That is the account of what's going on in this exact moment as well. And I want to look at you, show you what, how we know what their hearts are full of. It says this, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was going to be considered to be the greatest. He was leaving this men. This was a very important moment. And what are they doing in this moment? They are bickering and arguing about who is the greatest among them. They're fighting. I'm better than you. No, I'm better. No, I'm better. No, I'm better. I'm going to sit. I'm going to be the right hand. No, 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 no. Like, are you kidding me? This is the last moment. These are the Jesus's guys. And this is what they're doing. They've been with him for three years. If I'm Jesus in this moment, I'm like, I'm throwing my hands up saying, are you kidding me? God, can I get a do over? Can I get 12 more guys? Like, are, this is where I'm lining every one of them up, pulling off my belt. You know, that sound. Pup, 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 pup. All right, bend over right now. Let's go. Like, I, I'm about to wreck shop if I'm Jesus. But that's not what he does. Let's keep looking and see what's going on. And in the midst of their self-absorption. I mean, these are the guys he's passing the baton to. Who's going to be carrying the message of Jesus. And in the midst of their self-absorption, Jesus knew something else. He knew something else had been neglected. That everyone else's feet were dirty. Just a side note, when things are always going to be neglected when you're self-absorbed. 
when, when you're so self-absorbed, so many things are going to be neglected. And that's what's happening right here. It was a custom back in that time that when you would come into a house, you would get your feet washed. A Gentile slave, not a Jewish slave, but a Gentile slave would wash their feet. Well, in that moment, nobody was washing feet. There wasn't a slave there. And every disciple knew that people's feet needed to be washed, but they're like, I ain't doing that. Somebody should wash my feet. I ain't doing that. I ain't stooping to that low of a position. I'm one of the 12. They can wash my feet. I mean, that's why you even see them arguing, even who's the best of the 12. And you got to realize, too, here's what's going on. They're not sitting at a table like the pictures that we see. This in Jewish time, they would have been sitting on the floor, reclining on their elbow. So they're eating this meal, and everybody's feet is right by the food and right by each other. And here are the disciples. In this moment, they have proud hearts and dirty feet and an I ain't doing it attitude. That's what's going on in this passage right now in this moment. But let's see what Jesus does says this in verse 4. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. What an incredibly strange way for the guest of honor to act in his final meal with his friends. I mean, here Jesus is doing the job of a servant. I mean, think about it. All authority was placed in his hands in this moment. And what did he choose to pick up? Not a club, not not a belt. He chose to pick up a servant's towel and a basin of water. Can you imagine this moment? I mean, put yourself there. Like they're reclining. Jesus is washing their feet. They would have had to go from their elbow turn here and they're looking him eye to eye and no one is saying a word. They weren't sitting at the table and Jesus under there and everybody's awkwardly looking like giggling. Like, what's Jesus doing? No, like they're eye to eye with him in this moment. And he is washing their feet. And think about it. Whose feet is he washing? He's washing the feet of the one who was going to doubt him. Thomas. He's washing the feet of the very one that was going to deny him three times. Peter. He's washing the feet of all his best friends who are going to abandon him in the garden and fall asleep on him. And he's washing the very feet of the one who was going to betray him, Judas. Now, I don't know about y'all. I have a little redneck in me. If I would have been down there, I'd at least accidentally broken somebody's toe. You know what I mean? I'd have sent Judas out with a limp. Like, yeah, that's right. You're going to hop along out of here as you... As you go betray me. But that's not what Jesus does. He serves them and he washes their feet. And what happens next is extremely significant. For time's sake, we're going to jump past Peter. But here's what it says. It's when he finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Like, do you get it? He said, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. You see, I was caught off guard when I first read this because, like, what he said is, is kind of crazy. Like, he, you would think he would say, hey, now I've washed your feet, you wash mine. You get it? Like, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. But that's not what he does. What does he say? He said, now that I have washed your feet, you're called to now wash one another's feet. 
You're called to love and serve one another and each other. This is the attitude to which you're supposed to be marked by. Not bickering and fighting who's the greatest, but me setting the example and you to carry that out to one another. And I don't know if Jesus meant for you and me in this modern day to deliberately foot, wash the feet of everybody else. That's not really our culture. But he is, what he is doing in this moment is he is setting up an attitude because right now he's about to leave and this is the attitude that Jesus possesses and he is about to pass the baton and his disciples don't get it yet because you can't pass what you don't possess. You need to know that in your spiritual life. Like they have got to get this. And so what is he showing them? Not just actions. Man, I'm trying to get you to possess this attitude so that you can carry the message and the good news of me throughout the entire world. And you know, I don't think this was just a cute example Jesus was trying to give us. I think this is the very thing that he's calling you and me to live out in our daily lives every single day, no matter where we are or where we go to possess this attitude. Because every day you and I have a choice. There are two attitudes to which we can choose to live our lives. And you get to decide. I don't get to what you do. But you have the choice. And the first choice is this. You can decide to live your life every day as you wake up and to choose the attitude to be served. You come to the table of life every day and you, you take it and you, you, put the, you put on the bib. Life is all about me. My needs, my needs, everything's about me. My pleasure, my world, you serve me. Everybody should live their life and leverage their life to make it about me. What a selfish way to live. But do you know what? That is the culture in which we live in today. That is the culture you are tempted every single day to wake up and say, life is about me, serve me. You're tempted to walk into your relationships and say, make it about me. And when people make it about them, it's all about what can they get? What can I get from this person? Not what can I give, but what can I get? And let me just tell you, this is wreaking havoc on people in our culture. This is wreaking havoc on your spiritual life. And let me just tell you, this attitude will never carry you into everything that God has for you. If you wanna experience all that God has for you, you cannot live with a life that's saying, hey, life and everybody else, it's about me. Because when you do, man, you're full of pride. You're not gonna be teachable. You're gonna take advantage of people. You're not gonna look at the needs. You're gonna be so self-absorbed. And here's what people who are self-absorbed do. They're gonna be entitled or they're gonna be living in self-pity. In that moment, I was so entitled. And when it wasn't about me, I was living in self-pity because when it's about me, you're easily offended when you're not held in esteem as God. But can I tell you, there's a different way. And that is the way that Jesus is calling you and me to live. And that is this, is to have the attitude of a servant. And then every single day, instead of waking up and saying, life is about me, it's all about me, you take the towel. And every day you wake up and say, God, I am at your service. And to be at the service of God is to be at the service of others. 
That is what God is calling you to be. And that is what he is asking you and me to live that kind of life each and every day. Having eyes to see, looking around. Because when you have that attitude, you're able to see the opportunities that God puts in front of you to meet the needs of others and to experience him. To walk in all that he has for you and me. But let me just tell you, you will never experience it if you live like this. But if you would choose to say, God, I'm going to be at your service. And to be at your service is to be at the service of others. Watch what God can do with your life. Watch what God will do in and through you. That is the attitude to which you and I are called to carry. And that is the attitude which Jesus modeled for you and me to live every single day with our family, with our classmates, in our relationships. You want to, let, let me just tell you, ladies, you want to you find a guy that does not live like this. If he lives like this, do you know what he's going to do? He's going to use you for the benefit of his own pleasure and his own needs, and then he's going to leave you. Guys, you don't want to marry somebody that's like this. You don't. I promise you. Thank God I didn't. I married an incredible woman. Let me just tell you, you want to be looking for somebody who lives their life like this. Do you know what someone who serves this, especially when they're single, that means they guard their sexual purity. They guard the way that they live their lives because they are living to serve the person they're dating or they're with or serving their future spouse. Look for someone who is not living to meet the needs of themselves, but looking to serve the Lord and to serve others. God, I am at your service. I'm telling you, that's where the blessed life is. That's where the favor of God is. And so here's what I want to do with what little time I have left, is I want to show you what does that attitude look like? What does the attitude of a servant look like? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The attitude of a servant is humble. You see, notice, is it said, the world thinks humility is weakness, but actually true humility requires a lot of security and a lot of strength. The truly humble people are actually the most secure people I've ever met. They're able to not need the attention and they're able to leave whatever platform they are on and to serve. I mean, think of Jesus, the most humble person ever lived, left the throne of God and moved all the way down to laying his life down for you and me. He was the most secure person, even in scripture. It says that he had full authority. He never lost his authority. He says, I'm still teacher and Lord and I am serving you. A true servant and the attitude of a servant is humble. Let me just tell you, pride wants to wreak havoc on your life. And it's going to destroy everything good in you that God wants to do. Pride, like God says, he opposes the pride. It's like a stiff arm. And like we Razorback fans, we understand a stiff arm this year. Like we got it a lot, right? But here's what I know. If you operate with humility and be teachable, the tailwind of God and the favor of God is behind you. That's what he honors. The second thing is this, if, you, if you're taking notes, the attitude of a servant takes unannounced initiative. Unannounced. Like literally, if you look in scripture, it doesn't say that Jesus, he just got up. He just did it. He didn't go up and say, all right, guys, hey, look at me. I'm about to show you idiots what a servant looks like. He didn't get up and say, hey guys, okay, real quick, before I wash your feet, let me get a picture to show everybody. He didn't do that. You know what he did? He just got up and did it. He got up and served unannounced initiative. That is what God's calling for you and me. Look what it says in Matthew. It 
It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. For if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Let me just tell you something. Our God sees you. He is aware. You need to know that when you do it unannounced, just taking that initiative, when you see it, you move. That's what Jesus did. He noticed people's feet were dirty and he just did it. Man, that's where God's blessing is. Don't try to call attention to yourself. Don't be insecure to where you're like, I need everybody to know. No, 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 no. God knows and he will reward you. I dare you to try to be sneaky about it. Like live your life, say, I want to take an unannounced initiative and never get caught. Because true humility, true servant-hearted, never it does not live for grandstanding. It lives for the audience of one. And that is Jesus. Unannounced initiative. And lastly, is this. The attitude of a servant embraces the mess willingly. Jesus embraced it. He never once looked at them and said, are you kidding me? Well, he never eye-rolled. Like, I have a little girl right now. And, and, like, she still, like, messes on herself. And I don't look at her and, like, Finn, like, are you kidding me? Like, get out of here. Like, you, you, how long is it going to take? Do you know what I do? The mess, embracing the mess is an opportunity for intimacy. Jesus saw the mess as an opportunity, one, to teach, but also to serve. And that opportunity was the very thing that changed their life. They got it. How do I know they got it? Because you're sitting here and I'm standing here because that happened on the other side of the world in, a, in Israel, in a Jewish context. They got it. We have got to be willing to embrace the mess willingly and consistently. That is the attitude of a servant. And that is the attitude that Jesus Christ wants you and me to possess constantly. Because here's what you need to know. When you're too big for the small things, you're going to be too small for the big things that God has for you. Like when you're too big for the small things and the small messes, you're going to be too small for the big things that God has for you. Embrace it. Walk into it. I've seen that walking into the messes in my life have been the very things that God has shaped to grow me and give me opportunity. Maybe walking into the mess somewhere and serving might give you the opportunity to meet somebody you need to know. Embrace it. Walk into it consistently with an attitude that's humble and willing and watch God work. Listen to this as I get ready to close. It says this, Jesus said in Matthew, or not in Matthew, John 13, verse 15, he says this, I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, now that you know them, do them and you will be blessed. You see, greatness in the kingdom of God is always going to lead you through the valley of selflessness at times. Greatness in the kingdom of Jesus never got on them from wanting to be great. He got on to them for the means to which they wanted to be great. And that was stepping on others and elevating themselves. And Jesus said this, no, 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 you want to elevate in my kingdom? You want to go somewhere in my kingdom? You're going to carry the attitude of a servant and get low and leverage your life. And leverage your life, not to serve yourself, but you leverage your life and your abilities 
and your platform and wherever you are for the benefit of others. And that's how Jesus said that you're going to elevate. Look at me. Look at me. You give God the platform of your life and every day wake up, say, God, I'm at your service. And he's going to turn that platform into the pulpit from which you preach from. God's going to use that very platform in a way to make his name known and bring glory through your life. Because you need to know, man, people are hurting. People are hurting right now. And so many people have barriers up for God. I mean, you go to class with people all the time who have barriers up to God. I mean, even today, I was on the phone. We are at the hospital. And I'm getting the news of somebody I know just that's hurting, y'all. And when you're self-absorbed, when you live your life only for yourself, you'll never see it. But when you recognize, God, I'm not enough, and you're able, and I'm willing, God's grace is sufficient to work through you and help minister to the lives. You can either keep adding the barriers and building the barriers, or you can let your attitude one day at a time God, I'm at your service, and that's at the service of others. Be the very thing that breaks down the barriers in people's lives and brings them closer to Jesus. So what does that look like for you? Like, I'm not going to put some, like, big thing, oh, i got to do this. No, it's simple. Man, what does a servant do? A servant is always looking and listening. Look and listen to the people around you. Look for needs. Listen to their cries, the things that they're saying. Man, and be there. Point them to Christ. You know what else a servant has to do at times? They also have to overlook some things. Aren't you glad Jesus overlooked a lot in our life to serve us? Sometimes as a servant, you're going to have to overlook some things. But no, as you overlook them, it's an opportunity to get inside their mess and let Jesus start to change it and break down the walls that they have up in their life. Do you know what else a servant does? An attitude of a servant, they value. And they're going to value the people around them. You're not going to treat things flippantly. I mean, I, I think about a relationship. When you value somebody, you're going you're gonna to care for them. You're not going to manipulate and take advantage of them. You're going you're gonna to treat them with care. And not only that, you're going to express it. You're going to express it in word and in deed. In the very things. Isn't that what he said? God demonstrated his love to us. That while we were still sinners, man, Christ died for us. Can I tell you something? I don't have this down yet. Man, there's days I feel like I'm like schizophrenic sometimes. I'm like, some days I'm here, some days I'm here. I'm like, God, I, what? I am a messed up man. And he keeps saying every day, he keeps saying, hey, just grab my hand and follow me. And that's what I'm going to ask you. Man, evaluate. Just be honest. Where's your attitude? Is it the attitude of a servant? Or are you living your life right now? Making it all about you. Jesus wants to help you. He wants to show you a better way. And to start with that, you got to start looking to what he did. And when you look to the cross and you look at the sacrifice he made for you, how can we dare walk with pride? 
When we look at the price that he paid for you and to me and what that offers, how can we dare just live our lives with such self-interest and conceit? No, no, no. I'm going to close with this. One of my favorite songs of all time was written by a guy named Isaac Watson. I'm not going to sing it to you because I don't want your ears bleeding. I'm going to read it. It says this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour content on all my pride. Let's bow our heads.